Good evening and welcome to Festive Horror. I'm Christmassy Lee. <laughs> I'm Christmassy Chris. And I'm Festive Adam. <laughs> Not dark twisted German expressionism. <laughs> Same thing, isn't it? <laughs> uh, Actually, yeah. have, have you got have you got just a black t-shirt? What, what is that? Move up a bit. Me? Yeah. That's just a black t-shirt, yeah. It is. There you go. You move up as far as you like. It doesn't, you know, it's, it's still black. Black t-shirt. Black all the way down. Jeans. That's all he's worn <laughs> since I've known him in school. There you go. Well, I wore a school uniform then, but, but we all were, and I like to think you all copied my look. Whereas <laughs> Lee, Lee is looking very festive. Lee is very festive. But it is black. It it's is a black still festive. Black. I am still in a black festive top. Um, so we are here for the beginning of our Silent Night uh, Christmas episode series. Unholy Night. Indeed. Uh, there will be spoilers. <laughs> to be fair, it's, what, 120 <laughs> years old? Well, I think we're although, 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 right, I'm going to say, actually, someone absolutely could have spoiled this. Well, well Do Dr. Caligari. No, we're not doing Dr. Caligari. Today's uh, Nosferatu. Okay, you have you did watch Nosferatu, didn't you? I did, Ex but I yes. thought we were covering both. I was sure we were covering both we, in we one will, session. We will, we will cover both. We will cover both, but tonight we are covering Nosferatu. Uh, yes, so from uh, nineteen twenty-two, so one hundred and one years old. Yes, um, and so we will be spoiling it if you haven't seen it. One hundred and one years, and it's public domain. I don't know what your excuse is. Uh, and there will be swearing, quite possibly. Uh, I, yeah. I'm looking forward to finding out the explanation as to why he has the name he does, and if it's based on Dracula, what what's happened. Oh, we'll get into it, so don't you worry. We will indeed. Um, so, Chris, as someone who hasn't seen this film before, I'm assuming, what did you make? Yeah, I, not only have I not seen this film, I've not seen many. It might be one or two silent films before i kind of think one of them was the three amigos where they have the silent clips during <laughs> the film <laughs> i actually cannot even think of any others right so um yeah so it, this was a bit of a of a, a different experience however like seriously way better than i was expecting like oh, surprisingly absolutely. i was I mean, I, I did see roughly yeah, how old it was. And it's like, how is this actually still really quite watchable and really good? Oh, uh, yeah. It's, it's so, I think because of the, it hasn't got the sound and because it's black and white, the cinematography and everything, it's mm. just like, there are so many stills from this film that people have up in the house as prints. And I've got a couple myself. Yeah, um, all right. It's just stunning. But that's really interesting, right? Because I've seen the stills, I've seen the images, and in my head, mm. that meant it was going to be a very different feel throughout, whereas it was way more accessible than I was yeah. expecting. I was thinking it was mm. going to be really heavy, like really, like, oh. and especially when you said, like, what, so you said it's German Impressionism. Mm. Yeah. Uh, expressionism, yeah. Expressionism, okay. And this is kind of the birth of it, yeah. The, right, um, okay. And, and, and it's a horror film. Yes. So, so I thought this is going to be a tough watch, really. Like, and yeah, I'm going to try and appreciate it, but actually, it really was quite entertaining. Yeah, and and it's 
there's no secret to it. It's you can follow it. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? It's there's because I think even when you go back and read books that were written in different periods, like if you read a book that was written a hundred years ago, the mm. language can be quite, quite yeah. This tank, you know, you have to untangle it to sort of get you, where you, you are. Put some effort in, yeah. Definitely. Whereas, whereas this, where image is all they've got, mm. and that's where they're creating their narrative. I mean, okay, you get written bits like sort of subtitles and little caption cards in there but essentially yeah everything is told through every everything is vision you know everything is the vision that's the only sense that it's got it can't yeah. add music it can, you know but it's so um just so well done well yeah, and it creates a sense of atmosphere as well throughout oh. it's like yeah it's very good cinematography and um, I was going to say, even the little bits, you know, like the strange stuff that they cut to, you know, the Venus flytrap and all that stuff. Like, mm, yeah, no, yeah, yeah. Very I was early mention stock that later. footage, but like, yeah. it's just beautiful. It's great. It looks and the the build. That's what I love about this because it is so old. You see, although obviously it's set earlier than it was made, but you still get mm. that feel of how things were. It's a bit like Vampire when you watch Vampire. It is like like seeing what life was actually like you know a hundred mm. years ago and yeah and mm. the buildings and everything inside and outside have just got such a rustic old feel to i absolutely yeah. love the look of this film i, I am yeah. going to start cutting my bread the way he does <laughs> oh like, yeah oh, what's, what's he doing thing. with that and then he's just like <laughs> i think i suspect that's where we get the term ham-fisted from <laughs> is because that's that was someone making a, a sandwich and yeah because that is that it's like cutting like, it with a steak knife or something. <laughs> Claire watches a lot of infomercials and they do things like um, it'll be like normal knives will only cut through uh, sawdust and water, but these ones cut through tin cans and drywall. <laughs> and it's, yeah, it's in that, it's, it feels that same sort of way, you know. He's a, he's a and then, um, and then what they, way is what he is. Yeah. And then he, he sort of scares him towards the fireplace and then that's quite a nice seating arrangement there i sort of thought <laughs> they'd probably quite like to set up something like that i mean it did look like it was almost right in the fire i thought you're going to get warm but maybe yeah. that's the plan well i think i think in in that castle i suspect that it is yeah. I, I doubt there's central heating if anything, <laughs> you know. but it's and actually you saying about that one one thing i did find out researching it is a lot of those locations particularly around the village are still there mm. all right wow like the the, the town you know when they go like mm. the german town where hutter comes from mm. um and yeah i, I was, especially for you lee because i know you're a, a travel uh, 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 uh well you're a traveler sorry that sounds wrong but <laughs> you, you know you're you 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 but Go and yeah, the, 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 those locations are still there, like the house and the warehousing and stuff like that. Yeah, see, this would definitely be a destination holiday for me to go to because I love Germany anyway. Um, but yeah, to go and spend a few days and see these sets in the flesh would just be incredible. Mm -hmm. But yeah, so I mean, obviously, like we say, 100, 101 years old. Mm. Um, and actually, it looks a lot better than some of the porkies that we've watched. Mm. It's the, there's a, so much more 
dynamism to the characters and the uh, to the um, shots and the composition and everything else like that that you probably don't find in later stuff from like the forties and fifties and things like that. Because I mean, there's there's like there's all that stuff on the boat. Yeah, mm. you know, and that's with a single like hand cranked camera. I believe it's a hand crank camera. So it's you know that's you know they they shot the whole thing with one camera, and at one point it impounded, which caused a bit of a problem. But <laughs> yeah, yeah. When when they were travelling to various locations, they got it caught up in customs. It was like, well, we're slightly fucked here because that's literally the only it's the only one we've got, the only <laughs> camera we've got. So yeah, we need yeah. to uh, we need to extricate this and get. <laughs> but I suppose this, that is. Like we said before, sometimes having limitations really helps you to uh, improve, accentuate, enhance. Mm. You know the, the what you have got and and do an amazing job with it. Well, I think it's that old that old adage about with cinema is it should be show don't tell. Mm. They can't tell you, so yeah. everything is show. <laughs> everything, have to. Mm. but also the thought that goes into it. You know, in, into the. Composition, uh, like yeah. I keep saying composition, but the, the you know the the way those every shot, the reason you see so many stills from it is every shot is a portrait. Every shot yeah. is, you know, there's most of it is a it's a moving photograph. Um, God, I'm really I'm really bringing out the big guns intellectually here. Aren't I? It's a moving <laughs> photograph. <laughs> No, but, but it it is like this. It's funny how you think of it differently, yeah. Yeah, mm. but it, it totally is. And it, it's that thing, I suppose. It's as you say, you, you know, back then, you know, they only had one camera. They had to make every shot perfect. It's not, you know, they, they, I'm guessing film and stuff was so ridiculously expensive. Mm. You didn't waste anything. And that's why this film, it, 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 you know, full length feature, an hour and 35, it still goes by very quickly because. They've crammed so much. I mean, obviously, we'll get into it, I'm sure, in the next couple of minutes. Um, but it is ultimately the story of Dracula, which is a very big book. Um, mm. And to cram it all in, uh, yeah, and, and have to show you, as you're saying, there's no dialogue. So you've got to cut away to the cards in between and stuff. So they do fit a lot in, but it's it, it's pacing it is excellent. The film rushes by it. I tell you, when I went and saw it with Dean... Um, mm. in the summer at the Prince Charles, uh, it was the first time I'd seen it on the big screen. Yeah, and mm. I was surprised because normally, you know, you watch a film at home, you pause it, you go to the bathroom, you get a beer, you do whatever. Um, but yeah, to sit and watch it all the way through, yeah, and it, it flew by. I mean, we were pretty drunk, but it it did charge by at a, at a fair old rate. Um, yeah, and I was surprised how how much I enjoyed it because it'd been a few years since I'd seen it. Really, yeah. it's one of those. I think because you see so many stills and you see so many bits of it on clips and clip shows and stuff um, that you feel you know it inside out and you don't feel you have to regularly return to it. And then when you do, you go, oh, shit, yeah, no, I should definitely be doing this on a more frequent basis. Yeah, it it lives in it lives in your mind, but you make that assumption that it's actually got... Um, you You make the assumption that you know it when actually, no, you know all the you know the stills, yeah. Mm. And in your head, it's like, oh, well, it's a silent film. You know, I, I, I'm not averse to watching a silent film, but you feel that you've got to gear up to it 
and then actually when you get in there you're sort of like oh no actually this is a this is a breeze compared to some modern films that i've watched yeah even compared to as you said with the 40s and 50s like when they did all those you know like the sci-fi horror invasion that came out at that time Mm. like some of those are a slog they're like an hour and ten and you feel every minute of it whereas this kind of clips by and keeps you entertained and it it's quite you know jumping between different moods and yeah it's a Mm. really well put together film which is why yeah 101 years later we're still talking about it in the same breath as as stuff that's still being produced today really mm. i would be interested to know like how many films were getting made at that time oh, like how big it must I'm, have been the german film industry at that point was like was leading the world right yeah in okay. film because if you think about it obviously there was no language barrier Mm, so yeah, yeah, all the countries it was like a free-for-all because you could show it anywhere you change yeah. the title cards for the language if you're lucky you might get a, <laughs> like a print that no one bothered with and be but essentially you could work your way through it without the captions mm. and um yeah so it was like so internationally G- germany was it in the mm-hmm. sort of 20s uh 20s and 30s because they were sort of like and then when talking pictures came in, that's when Holly Hollywood sort of took over, weirdly, you know, because it was then I think it may have actually been that international audiences, but apart from English speaking ones, suddenly decided, no, I'm not fucking prepared to sit through <laughs> <sit laughs> subtitles. Maybe this I don't even know if subtitle technology would have been that doable as a thing. But basically, mm. yeah, it was um yeah, so but there were sort of dozens of films out at the time like and um and this was actually quite i would say i want to say lavishly budgeted but also i think poorly budgeted because basically they set up a company they set up um a film production company called prana films and Mm. by the i think by the time sort of like it was showing in cinemas they were already filing for bankruptcy because they decided, oh, we're gonna. Um, that, but it was founded by a guy called uh, uh, Albin Grau, um, who was a like draftsman, architect, uh, artist, but also a cultist. And so he wanted to do films with a with a cult leanings in them. Mm. Um, and he had this big plan with this big production company, and Nosferatu was the only one they ever produced because yeah they, right. they went bust but so i think that there's for the time this was quite Wait, so if they went bust what so this didn't make well it's it's a it's a weird story i was gonna say yeah. i think we should get into uh, that right. because it is quite an interesting story how we're very lucky that we actually are still able to see this film so yeah. so basically obviously it's it's basically it's dracula um the second half of the film is not dracula that's where it changes. When Dracula arrives in Germany, um, that's when it sort of three wheels away from Dracula, essentially. Okay. But but, but the but so why, why 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 did it not follow? Um, basically, what happened was is they wanted to do an adaptation of Dracula, and it's actually they mm. on their material they put freely adapted from Dracula by Bram Stoker, but they didn't ask for the rights or buy mm. the rights to make a film of the book. 
And again, it films in its infancy. So it's kind of like one of those weird things where there's a bit, you know, just people weren't quite sure what the procedure was. Um, And also, I don't think that lawyers of authors were geared up quite at that point of like, oh, well, yeah, you know, stage productions was one thing, but film was like, again, it's that usual thing, you know, like like how... um, can't regulate unable to regulate stuff with the internet and things like that yeah. where it's just like mm. something comes along that's so new and no one's prepared that oh actually and i mean now they sort of backtrack it where it's like well if that's what we did for yeah for theater that's what we'll do for cinema although we have seen what... it with with the ai people making ai mm. images yeah. and yeah how do you copyright that who exactly really owns it? yeah mm. and so it's become a very sort of and that was the similar sort of thing but basically mm. so they made this and again they had an opening night that reportedly cost more than the film um because they premiered it at the berlin zoological gardens and with a full orchestra concert and mask yeah okay yeah that's a bit different to and so (laughs) the way it's done now (laughs) but then weirdly enough the flyer for that got to um Bram Stoker's widow, Florence. Now, mm. she obviously was the executor of Bram Stoker's estate. He was obviously, well, widow would have hinted to you possibly that, that he yeah. was dead by this point. Um, but, um, and so he? she was, she owned the rights to Dracula. And again, in that sort of weird way, um, author's right, you know, author's copyright didn't create that much money. So okay. it wasn't like yeah. she could live off it, even though it was a very successful book, and you would mm. imagine. But you know, she was she was getting money from it. So she sort of like found out, like she saw this flyer for this amazing yeah. premiere, and was like, "What the fuck's this?" this is some, <laughs> you know. So she got her. I think they were like the London Authors Society or something like that. Was like this group, and she went to them, and they sort of went after Prana Films with a view to pay up. You know, you owe her some copyright or you owe her uh, a, an amount from the box office or, you, do you yeah. know what I mean? You, you, you obviously owe her because you've done this without any... Um, Consent. Uh, oh. Any permission, any rights mm. or anything else like that. And But like I say, by then, Prana Films, because they were basically a, a film company set up by an architect who wanted to make occult films had strangely gone mm. bust. Mm. Um, much in the same way that Drodorowski's June didn't get made. Yeah. Because I think that there was a there was a lot of imagination versus a lot of practicality, sort of. Yeah. And um, yeah, so they were already bankrupt. And the receiver company basically pissed them around for years about getting like money from it. Meanwhile, mm. it still was going around and it was a really successful yeah. film. And so the receiver company, the people who bought out the debt, essentially, when uh, Prime Films went get... bankrupt, were still making a, <laughs> a fair profit off it. Mm. And because of that, in the end, because Florence Stoker couldn't get anywhere with it, she was like, right, my, her last court order was basically, like, her last legal action was ruled that they had to destroy all prints of the film. Because it was basically, well, you know, you're you know, if if I can't have it, no one can. Yeah. And I get it. Do you know what I mean? I think a lot of people have said, oh, she was... But no, I understand when, like, that's a, you know, 
fucking hell pay for it. Yeah. <laughs> and like I say, it wasn't anything, none of the filmmakers really, they, it was beyond them by the time that Florence Stoker's getting pissed around by this company. Mm-hmm. So she ordered to get them all destroyed. And basically they did that quite badly, but a, a large majority of them were destroyed. Uh, but Prince would turn up here and there. They like mm-hmm. Prince in America, Prince in France, because they'd fucking distributed it so many places. Yeah. And so we still have the film, but it's um kind of a composite of all of those prints because some of them might have had damage, some of them might have had bits missing, um, mm. and so on and so forth. But they've managed to sort of cobble it together from these various prints that were located around the world. So there was a chance, and a lot of films from this period, from like the silent film period a lot of those are lost films now. They're films where they just, you know, no one kept, no one, no, again, back to no one understanding what the thing is that's going on, what film is. It wasn't necessarily considered that it was a preservation of thing mm-hmm. or something like that. You know, you made your film, it went out, it made a bit of money, that was it. No one was thinking, oh, in a hundred years time, you'll be able to stream it, buy yeah. it on a blue shiny disc or... You know, a digital copy of it or whatever like that. And yeah, so a lot of films go missing from this period or a lot of films are sort of Mm. pieced together from existing uh, elements and stuff like that. So essentially this is the Frankenstein of Dracula movies. Mm. (laughs) Very much so. Very much so. And, but yeah, but like I was saying, the... um, and actually, weirdly enough, F.W. F. W. Murnau, the director, had a bit of fun with this because mm. he also, a few, in 1920, he did a film called The Head of Janus, which is basically Jekyll and Hyde. And again, uh. I don't think they asked. <laughs> you know, it was just, I think it was almost like this thing. It was almost like, I don't know, it was almost like sampling. Do you know what I mean? It wasn't necessarily that you were plagiarising this book, but you didn't know that by adapting it, you were sort of... Using somebody mm. else's you know, IP. the concept of intellectual property almost probably wasn't like an idea. It was like it was the this thing was there, but we're doing something new with it. And it's, you know, and but again, you can sort of and you can see how everyone ended up feeling about it, that it is a thing where you buy the rights. You, you know, there is a process for this sort of thing and you pay the price yeah. if you don't follow that process. Yeah. Um, but it's scary to think though how close we came to not <laughs> oh yeah there was to, not, there... To never getting to see this film if if that had been followed to the letter that that judicial order mm. like yeah well, we would never have seen this and it would just be <sighs> something you read about in the history books and see the odd still from mm. it would be like london after midnight which is oh. a famous lost film uh, chris but the with it's a uh, lon chaney uh, film lon chaney senior <laughs> okay and there's loads of pictures of it and loads of sort of um, stills from it and publicity shots, but the film uh, itself it does not exist. exist. And actually, in a weird way, I think yeah. we talked about it on that episode, but th- oh. it nearly happened to Bloodbath at the House of Death. Yeah. Mm. That nearly ended up a lost film because no one had preserved it and no one had kept the negative and they was like, well, no one's got a video of it. And if you yeah. think about it, back back then, it was literally just, did your cinema have a print of this? It's not like someone recorded it off a of BBC2 and they could 
like lend them the video or something like that to make yeah. mm. it was and pretty much i mean obviously like england and i think pretty much germany was it was cleared out of all the copies because that was the two places where it had a sort of you know she, florence stoker's influence was so like i say there were ones turning up in america what a couple a print from france and stuff like that but it was all just these weird little ribs and drabs that they managed to put it back together from mm. and obviously because they were going through for freely adapted that's why also the names are changed so yeah okay jonathan harker is hutter um ellen is nina slash lucy kind of because that's the interesting thing as well is i think i love the change that they make because obviously you get for a start this is the first dracula film where they put renfield in the role of a member of Harker's estate agency, and in the Bella Lugosi yeah, one, it's Emily okay. Renfield who goes and does and follows Harker's path, and then comes back as Renfield essentially. Mm. Um, so this was like the first film to do that. And interestingly enough, the ending. And again, sorry about the spoilers mm-hmm. for this hundred and three year old film, um, but um, oh, hundred and one. Um, the ending isn't in the novel in the novel dracula is killed because i think harker slashes his throat and quincy morris stabs him through the heart with a fucking bowie knife and he crumbles to dust Hmm. but also in the book dracula can go around in daylight it just robs him of any of his powers okay so the thing of one of the things that's kind of original not original because they're following a lot of folklore and things like that but one of the things that's definitely started with nosferatu is the dissolving in sunlight Mm. um thing with vampires and so yeah so that last section when he turns up and i i also love the fact that there's the um plague thing yeah because the two things you've got to remember is because, is funnily enough, Claire said, oh, it's really weird watching it because all the streets are so empty. And so basically, obviously, this is like 1922. So you're only like four years out of the First World War. So, mm. yes, it is quite quiet because loads and loads and loads <laughs> of able-bodied people, uh, men, died yeah. during World War One. So the streets are kind of empty yeah. because everywhere is kind of empty you know and on top of that at the end of world war uh, at the end of world war one spanish flu comes in and obviously we all heard a lot mm. about spanish flu during covid yeah and so the fact that count orlock turns up and brings plague mm. rats yeah is clearly sort of from that experience that had also gone on you know, where they sort of like, right, they're, when they're examining the body and it's like, right, it's plague and they all just run out. And it's like, right, we know what, you know, it's almost like, right, we know what to do at this point, right? We isolate and get the fuck out of here because this is dangerous and contagious. Mm. And um, so it's got sort of like, it's got bits and pieces that um, still are not quite Dracula. Like, still are part of Dracula, but not actually from the book. Mm, Sorry. Yeah. And, okay. but also you've got that sort of, you've got the, the plague imagery in there as well. 
and you've also got um, the sort of weirdly enough, Van Helsing's a bit of a wank in this because Van Helsing's almost going, yeah, let's just just um, you've got to think about these things reasonably. You know, he's actually the opposite of how Van Helsing usually is. I mean, it's interesting. He's credited as a Paracelsian. Now, Paracelsus was an alchemist, but also a pioneer of medicine who he basically got people to stop rubbing cow crap into wounds and things like that. He was one of the mm-hmm. first people to be like, oh, maybe maybe there is a benefit to keeping these things clean. He was also yeah. one of the first people to basically go, do you know what? There's probably certain chemicals and compounds that we could give people to make them feel better. So he was like a sort of pioneer of medicine, but he was also, but he was also an alchemist. So it's like that sort of interesting thing where it was very much a man of reason, but in that same vein that that is that is not a poo-pooed thing. That it would be, Mm -hmm. well, this is this is another branch of science that I need to look at. You know, but Van Helsing's sort of shit, and it's it's um, Ellen who bloody solves it. Yeah. You know, she reads the book that Hutter brings home. And even down to that, if you think about it, that's like, uh, there was probably a lot of people coming back from the war like Hutter. Where, you know, it's like they went off somewhere, something horrible happened and they've come yeah. back broken. Yeah. And they don't sort of, you know, and he doesn't recover the way he does in um, the book mm. where he sort of like becomes part of the, the team of vampire killers and everything else like that and um, so uh, and what about the the having to take the cursed earth around with him i think that is actually that was vampire law and that is in dracula yeah okay speaking of we i mean we need to talk about max shrek um <laughs> he uh, i mean the, the, it's got to be said the vampire in this after this obviously universal did it and made it Mm. you know a much more debonair stylish mm. but this is much closer to dracula in the book he is yeah right yeah looking yeah absolutely yeah. terrifying it's a serious iconic look yeah i don't know if you remember lee but I, when i first was like when i first was like when i first got nosferatu it would have been like 90s mid 90s or whatever like that mm. first time i saw it and there was a lot there was a lot of dracula stuff around because their bram stoker's dracula had come out yeah. Mm. And so there were lots of things like, oh, here's the history of Dracula in cinema. And so Nostralgia was obviously the starting point for that. But a lot of them at the time, they were like, oh, this guy's called Matt Schreck. Now, Schreck means horror or terror in German. And they were kind of like, oh, I remember at the time, like seeing things with, you know, proper scholars and stuff like that. And they're going, oh, it's probably a pseudonym for another actor because, you know, it's like, it's like the guy's called Max Fear. Um, but actually, Max Schreck was his fucking birth name, and right. he was a respected stage actor. He was like, you know, he wasn't a, even down to the fact that his wife, Fanny Schreck, is a nurse in this. So there you go, Fanny Fear. <laughs> so Maximum Fear and Fanny Fear, and, yeah. lovely couple from up the road. Um, there is actually, Chris, if you've not seen it, there's a, a film called Shadow of the Vampire, which is incredible. Mm. Um, yeah, I which... think we need to do that. Yes, we definitely do. Um, I think we'll save that. It's it's basically it's um just give you a very quick rundown. It's a film. It's a, a fictional telling of the making of this film in which Max Schreck is a real genuine vampire 
who they've hired to come in and play the character. Yeah, that, that um, sounds very uh, true. John Malkovich is in it and Eddie Izzard. Mm-hmm. I haven't seen it in a okay. very long time, but it is a fantastic movie. Really, that sounds like a great really idea. Entertaining. Uh, one thing that I did find out, now like I say, Alvin Grau, who's the producer, is kind of like the visionary of Nosferatu. And um, he actually left Germany when the Nazis came to power because they cranked down on occult groups faster than any other group, essentially. Um, they were an occult group. Oh, yeah. I, that's the thing. They yeah, didn't like you know, the rival. Like, no, yeah, yeah. It's, it's people's front of Judea with a cult. Yeah, <laughs> they're, they're not. They're not the proper ones. Yeah, are you the Judean they, people? Uh... Fuck off. Mm. <laughs> are you the Order Templars? <laughs> no, with a golden dong. You. But um, so, so he got the fuck out of Dodge pretty quickly. Um, and um, but F.W. Murnau, the director, did lots of other films he did um like faust and haunted castle and stuff like that and he went to america and was doing um uh, like he started doing talking pictures and he actually died quite young he died at 42 in a car crash Hmm. and that was that was like 1930 so that was before anything had actually sort of kicked off in terms of like the rise of well the nazis had still hadn't come to power in germany and stuff Hmm. like that but he was already in hollywood at that point um, mm-hmm. But I didn't know this until I was reading. Apparently, his grave was broken into in 2015, and his skull has been stolen, and no one knows where it is. Wow! And That's creepy. And apparently, there was well, I mean, this might be ghoulish sort of entertainment news. I don't know, but apparently, there was wax found. Like a police report said there was wax found at the thing, so they thought it might have been candles, so it might have been some sort of ceremony or something like that. But yeah, mm-hmm. so somewhere out there is F.W. Murnau's skull, which um, adds a real sort of touch to uh, touch of the macabre to it as well. Yeah. If anyone is looking to offload that for a reasonable price, <laughs> uh, you can contact us at info at welcometohorror.com and I will be very interested. <laughs> Oh dear. I mean, imagine if that after all the things we've said, the thing that brings us down is important. Hey, fuck <laughs> it. If someone wants to get me a Christmas present, it's a bit, you know, I know we're cutting it fine, but that would be the best Christmas <laughs> present of all time ever. I, I've also got to say one other thing to mention with obviously Max Shrek and because uh, as as our next film will attest how much Tim Burton really likes German expressionism, mm, but Max yeah. Shrek is Christopher Walken's character in uh, Batman Returns. That's why he's called Max Shrek. Ah, uh... he's named after the uh, the the star of Nosferatu. <laughs> That's great. And Nosferatu is apparently just a kind of catch-all term for undead in mm. Eastern Europe. Wasn't really. It's not necessarily vampire. So seems mm. to be some obscure. Uh, ideas about where it's come from, but uh, yeah, mostly it seems to be like if you, you know, it could it could be zombies, could be anything. Yeah, okay. Uh, you know, yeah, so. so just a supernatural being type. Yeah, revenants, anything that's yeah. back, anything undead. Mm-hmm. Um, a... I did want to mention, and it seems sort of relevant that I have been watching uh, what we do in the shadows. I've been catching <laughs> up, and it that's it's a lot funnier than this. <laughs> But that, yeah. Uh, so the 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 master vampire is definitely very much yes, yeah, based upon the Nosferatu type, and the same uh, with um, Salem's Lot as well. You know, you've yes. got the, the the 
the human looking vampires, but the mm. king of the vampires always looks exactly He's... like Nosferatu. Yeah. Well, this, this, there are other versions. There's Werner Herzog's version of Nosferatu, which I highly recommend. Yeah. I did watch it earlier right. in the week. Um, I might even say we do that at some point because I mm. think that that is such a good thing where you're like, oh, wow. So that is everything from Nosferatu that I might have not got. I now have. Okay. Yeah. And it's got some amazing fucking performances in it. But I also I, I was going to thing- say that I could do with watching this again, really. You know, well, remember, so... remember that Robert Eggers will be remaking Nosferatu. Oh, yeah. So, yes. you know, friend, so friend, we get, we're getting set up now for a lot yeah. of good stuff. I and also, if that. you can find it, there's a radio adaption called Midnight Cry of the Deathbird, and it's fucking okay. brilliant. Very strange, very weird. And adapting a silent film for radio, I'm impressed. So it's a pretty good title. <laughs> You've got it at both ends. Um, <laughs> who, uh, right. Anyway, on that note, I think it's time to call it a day. So thanks ever so much for listening, everybody. Um, if you haven't, just go and check out Nosferatu. I know, mm. you know, as Chris said, and Adam and I both agree, it's one of those things that feels like it could be very stodgy and a real struggle to get through. But it absolutely is a it's a lovely film to sit back and enjoy. Mm. Um, it, it really is fantastically well done. So much more well done than a lot of stuff that's come since. So, uh, yeah, so go and check that out and return in two weeks' time or just before, I think, because we're going to drop it just before Christmas uh, for our Cabinet of Dr. Caligari episode. Thanks ever so much for listening, everybody. Good night. Good night. Good night. Whoop, whoop.